Welcome to the Living Parables Podcast, where we uncover spiritual truth and lessons God has given us through His Word and our own life stories. I am Nate, your host. To all those who are tuning in the show, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate each and every single one of you, and now let us begin. Well, I'd like to welcome you back to a brand new week, brand new episode, and I'm so grateful for all of you and there are a lot of wonderful things cooking up right now, and I am just very grateful to be on the receiving end of those blessings of just these studies. And speaking of that, I have to tell you about something weird that happened. So as I'm recording this right now, this very morning, here's what happened. I've been having some weird dreams lately. Now, don't, whoa, whoa, whoa. Before you get all like, wait a minute, Nate. Wait a minute. Where are you going with this? I had a weird dream last night. I had nothing to do with anything. Dreams are dreams. That's as far as they go. And I didn't have any dream that I got some special revelation or anything like that. So don't worry. Uh, I'm not contradicting God's word or myself. I'm just telling you that I had some weird dreams and I woke up, you know, got got some water and was laying down back to sleep, and identity just came in my mind. I don't know why, and so I got my phone out, and I have my you know personal phone number in there that I text myself notes that just that I want to think about or study, and just these things came to mind real quick, and I just thought that wow, I mean this is. First off, it's a big issue today, and it's a misconception in the church as well with the brotherhood, and I'm just thinking, like, I got, I have to address this and talk about this this morning. So here we are. So I'm going to talk to you about identity. First, I'm going to go to the uh, definition, and it says the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. Now, in psychology, it says an individual's sense of self-defined by a set of physical, psychological, and interpersonal characteristics that is not wholly shared with any other person and a range of affiliations, so, for example, ethnicity, and social roles. Now, big difference between the two. I'm not going to get into the psychological aspect of identity, but the truth of identity is this. It is one of the greatest lies right now, especially in America. The fact that I am me, I will never change. I am perfect the way I am. Accept me for who I am. That worldly attitude is under the system of Satan, which denies the power of God that changes you through his word. So I know a lot of us listen to this podcast, and some people may have some worldly views that they might be holding on to. I'm just going to call it like it is. God created man and woman separate for a reason. 
his divine perfect plan for mankind has been under attack from Satan from the very beginning. And something you may have missed early on, even it's found in the book of Genesis. Okay, so I want I want to take you there because this was brought up in a Bible study and it was something that I had not grasped before. Genesis 3.16, this is after the fall. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. That desire does not mean... I want to please my husband. Desire is I want to take down. And so with that knowledge, here's the conclusion. Before the fall, it was as God has ordained it to be good. Satan crept in and he told Eve, if you eat of that fruit, you surely won't die. In essence, he is calling God a liar. His word is not to be believed. He doesn't have your best interest and that his restrictiveness is prohibiting you from having the life that you want to have and that you can fully enjoy. He's such an oppressor. He is law, not love. I'm love. Go take a bite. So that's where it began. So don't act like this is some new age stuff that just magically disappeared. This has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. So what are we saying right now? The things that are happening in our culture today are nothing new under the sun. It may be new to our young nation. If you think about it, we're one of the, if not the youngest nations in the world. And I kind of think of kind of a younger sibling. I'm the oldest, so maybe I'm a little bit biased on that. But, you know, they, they, they're, they're brash. They make wrong decisions. I mean, we truly haven't been around that long. So, that's not completely the issue. Here's the real issue. That at one point, this nation embraced God. They may not have been born again, but at least they had a general respect for God. Now, it is completely the opposite. You have TV shows that have been popping up lately about making Satan some handsome, misunderstood character. Do you not see the issue with that? Are there not red flags going off in your head? It's time to wake up, people. Because the truth of identity is this. If we identify with anything this world approves, we ought to be terrified. Because whatever the world approves or says that is good, 
understand that that is a lie from the father of lies, Satan himself. And it's demonic, and it absolutely opposes God. And see, what you don't understand right now, and I'm talking to the people that fall into this category, is that Romans 6.6 6 says that we are slaves to sin. We're slaves to sin. Now, I don't think you understand what that word means. Now, again, I'm re- referencing the people that are in that. We do here. We know what the word do loss means. God is kurios. We are do loss. We are the Lord's slaves. He bought and paid for us at a price, and we are not our own. We know that. But the world is a slave to their own sin. And Satan, if you are friendly with the world, you have hostility or hatred to God, and you are blinded to the truth. John 8, 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Okay, let's let's read Romans 6, 6 all the way. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. And then just 10 verses later, in 16, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. The world is a slave to their sin. And I'm going to throw this at you as well. Idolatry disguises itself as identity. I identify as this. I identify as that. You are telling God in the whole entire world that I am the most important person on this planet, bar none. And how do you think God feels about that? How do you think God feels about that? I'm the best. I'm the most important person. You have to take care of number one first. So where does God fit in that equation? Well, if you are so important, he will be far less important. And matter of fact, what a lot of people do is they use God as their own personal genie. And as a result, if God doesn't give them what their hearts desire, he doesn't exist or he's cruel. And I didn't really need him in the first place. And two people that fit this example perfectly well, and we are not going to go into these characters in detail because we have been over these characters before on the Living Parables podcast. So I would suggest going back to the prodigal son and the rich young ruler. Actually, we did a rich young ruler twice, technically. But the rich young ruler, he knew how rich he was, He had everything going for him. But there was something that he knew that he lacked. He knew he did not have the assurance of salvation. He had no idea. 
he was probably faced with his own mortality and thought, if I die, am I really going to go to heaven? I got to know. And this Jesus guy thinks he has the answer and, you know, he seems a bit like being a good teacher. He must be of God. So I'm going to go check it out. And we all know how that went. He could not give up his identity. He couldn't give it up. He could not give up his idolatry of himself and his wealth. And then look at the prodigal son. Look at the prodigal son. What did he say to his father? Father, give me my share of the inheritance right now. Which is telling his father, I want you to be dead right now so I can have this. Give it to me now. Now, back in those days, if a son were to ask his father about something like that, he would have been probably beat <laughs> and uh, taken the woodshed. Let me just tell you that right now. But let me just say this. The father was gracious and gave him what he wanted. See, he he didn't want to be identified as his son anymore. I want to be my own person. I want to live my own truth. I want to do my own thing. I want to live my own way. And he did. He did. But what happened to the prodigal son? You remember? Well, I'm going to take you back to it. I'm going to take you back to it. And Luke is such a powerful, powerful book. So Luke 15, we're not going to go through it all. But listen to this. The prodigal son spent his money and squandered it on loose living. I mean, you can let your mind wander and imagine what he did as long as it doesn't lead you to sin. But he, but nothing was off limits. I mean, he was with prostitutes, drinking, uh, any type of partying you can think of. So that's what loose living was. That's in verse 13. But now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And what happened? He sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. And guess what? That can't be digested well for humans. And he was dying of hunger. And verse 18, he finally comes back to his senses. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. He had a plan. But you know what? He hit absolute rock bottom. But see, that's what happens when we go with what the world says is good. What the world says is tolerance. What is the world exalting right now? It's exalting self. And it's exalting very disgusting sin in places it doesn't belong. And people think that, well, these people that are these that are identifying as this or identifying as that, 
man, we're making progress as a nation. No, we're exalting wickedness. We're exalting sin. And the sad part, more than anything else, is our children who do not know the difference are being raised up in a Sodom and Gomorrah type of atmosphere. And that's not me being dramatic. That's just calling it like I see it. And understand this. And this is what it talks about in Romans chapter 1. He gave him over. He gave him over. He gave him over. They denied him as God. They refused to repent and turn from their sins. And because of that stubbornness, they are storing up wrath for themselves. You know, Jesus says it very, very clear in John chapter 8. I'm going to take you there. John chapter 8. This is as clear, cut, and concise as you get. Listen to verse 24. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Not maybe, not if, you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. What is he talking about? Unless you believe that Jesus is God. When he said, I am he there, that's another I am statement. I am who I am, the tetragrammaton, that's found in Exodus 3.14, when God says, I am who I am. Jesus is identifying himself as God, and he is right, because that's who he is. Now the question is, who are you? That's the question, who are you? Because your identity has to go bye-bye. Listen to Matthew 16, 24. Here's what it says. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I have to deny myself? Take up my cross? What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you exactly what it means. Because the meaning of the scripture is the scripture. Many people go, well, this is what I feel that this verse is talking about here. This is talking about life's burdens. And no, it's not. Stop it right there. No, it's not. The scripture interprets the scripture, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So what does that mean? Where we deny ourselves and take up our cross? I've been crucified with Christ. We take up our cross. What does that mean? Well, when Jesus took up his cross, what did that mean? He's going to die. Galatians 2.20, that's a perfect parallel. That's a cross-reference. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Your Your identity is gone. Matter of fact, if you swing over real quick to Colossians, which is 
again, you know me in Colossians. I, <laughs> um, we have a great relationship. But Colossians 3, 2 through 4, listen to this. Listen to this. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. Where is your mind focused on? If your mind is set on things above, you're focused on your relationship with Christ. You're focused on Christ alone. You're not focused on yourself. You're focused on denying yourself, sanctifying yourself through the work of the word in the heart by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That is what it means to be set on the things above. If your mind's set on the things of earth, you're focused on self. You're focused on sinful desires. And all those things lead to destruction. So let's continue on. Verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So wait a minute. What are you saying here, Nate? You're saying that I have to deny myself and die to myself? You're saying that you're crucifying your flesh with Christ and you no longer, I no longer live, but he lives in me. And you're also saying that, again, this is, we're talking about death here for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Your identity is gone. That's the end of you. You are who you are until you meet Christ. And when you meet Christ and are born again, here's what happens. That's the end of you. But that's really where our true identity lies. Now, what's our true identity? I'll show you. Let's go to the next verse in Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed. There it is. Is he your life right now? Is he your life? Is revealed. Then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Brothers and sisters, I cannot make it any more clear than I have. The world is fixated on identity because the system of this world is run by Satan and he wants to exalt self because if you exalt self, that increases in pride, it increases in wickedness, and it gives you free reign and free permission to do and say and think and act however you please with no regard to what God says at all. So now, what are we supposed to do? Well, Romans 12, 2, and we read this all the time, and there's a reason why this is brought up over and over and over again, because we set our minds on the things above, and then all of a sudden the things of this world pop up and they they distract us and hey look over here they look over here they look over here but we have to get our minds set back on the things above what are we talking about Romans 12 2 
do not be conformed to this world. Some translations say the pattern of this world. Here it is, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Part of that transformation is thinking like this. It's all about me. Now it's all about Christ. It's about my desires. Changes to, it's all about God's desires. I don't want to read the word of God because it's convicting and it makes me feel bad. And it transforms to, it is still convicting, but I love my Savior so much that I'll give up whatever it is that's hindering my relationship with him and obey it and change it because I have a new heart. I have a new spirit that can deny ungodliness. You can say no. You can say no to ungodliness because of the spirit that lives within you. But you cannot do that apart from his word. You cannot do that apart from prayer. You cannot do that flying solo, not going to church. And people wonder, well, I'm drying my spiritual walk. Because you're not immersed in the word of God. Because you're not immersed in prayer. Because you're not immersed in Christ. Because you're not gathering with the brothers and sisters. You cannot be a Christian and not be devoted to his word. So when we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, how does that occur? Going back to Colossians again, because you know I love Colossians. Listen to Colossians 3.16. We quote this all the time. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness to your hearts to God. Then it goes to Romans 10. And we hear it all the time, Romans 10, 17. For faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Scripture. You want to know why your faith is lacking? You're not in the word. You're not in the word. You cannot be transformed by mysticism, by getting, quote unquote, dreams or thoughts from God and and then living off that until you go get to the next one. That's not how it works. I've seen these people all over YouTube, all over over the, the country. The same thing. It's all mysticism. It's what Paul, John, the apostles fought for, obviously not physically, but that's what they fought for in their epistles to the church to combat that exact thought. It's not mysticism, and it's not difficult. But we make it difficult. We want the easy road. We don't want to read the Word of God. And by the way, if you have a trouble reading the Word of God or you have some kind of resistance to it, that should alarm you. That should terrify you. And let me just say this, Christian, who is struggling right now. There's someone that came to Jesus. I'm going to give you the context of the story. But here's what happened. There was a man, and he had a son who was possessed with a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, stiffens out. 
Now, here's the problem. Jesus came to him, which was so amazing. He came to the, he came to the boy that his father brought to him. And here's the deal. This is what the man said. It has often thrown him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Key words there. If you can do anything. Here's what Jesus said in verse 23. In Mark 9. If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. So Christian, who's been struggling, listen to this. Listen, This is what the boy says after this. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. How many of us are there? How many of us are there? We'll cry that out, but we'll do nothing. We don't want to put any work in. We don't want to put any effort in. What do you think is going to happen? You don't need more of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit needs more of you. So understand that. Stop being lazy. Stop pointing the finger. Deny yourself. Repent of the things that you have done. And again, unbelief is a sin, people. Unbelief in the in the authority and power of the word of God is a sin. Repent and turn to Christ as your only hope of salvation. That the word of God is your true, ultimate authority. Because it is. Because the transformed mind through the dwelling of the word of God richly within us, the denying of self leads us to Romans 8.29. And you hear me quote it all the time and for very good reason. Romans 8.29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. There it is. There it is. That's your identity. You identify now as a Christ follower. That's it. No, you're not going to walk around saying you're Jesus Christ, but we are supposed to be little Christ. That's our focus. And we don't do that to get the, the glory from other people that think, wow, you're, you're such a spiritual person. Wow, you're so holy and righteous. You have so much light. No, you deflect all that and you give it to the one who is the only one worthy enough of that praise, and that's Jesus Christ. So here's what I'm going to leave you with. Christ is your life. Who you think you are and who you were, that person should be dead and buried. And that life is hidden in Christ, and then Christ, his light, his life, dwells within you, and lives out through you. And the last scripture we're going to end with, very, very simple, but very powerful. 
Very simple, very powerful. Now, this is talking about John the Baptist. Here's what he says. He must increase. Talking about Jesus. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must become greater. I must become less. Is that your heart's desire? True believers are marked with a love for Christ and a, and a humility and selflessness that exalts Christ. And we take a step back. He is Lord. We are his slave. We obey his commands. Not because he's a cruel God, but because he is a just, loving reconciling God who takes us out of the slave market of sin and death, condemnation, wrath, and judgment. He takes us out of that and he transfers us to the kingdom of his beloved son with whom we now have intimate, close relationship with. He teaches us the mysteries of his word and not just that, that we become co-heirs with Christ Jesus our Lord. How do you not fall in love with a God like that? Cast off your quote-unquote identity. Stop playing with the world's game because it's going to lead to destruction, wrath, and judgment. And come to Christ in whom is redemption, forgiveness, mercy, grace, and true love. Amen. So with that being said, I pray that the Lord blesses and keeps you and gives you peace. And remember, everything is in Christ, with Christ, and for Christ. And until next time, God bless you all.